Father, as we deal with this very intimate part of our lives, and as we have a group of young and older people here who are grappling with how sexuality relates to their spirituality, help us to find the answers to how to become a whole person, to surrender this part of our lives to you, because we know that ultimately you do love us and you want that kind of intimacy with us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have noticed today that sex has become a product. Have you noticed that? Everywhere you go, every store you go into. Yesterday, I am trying to work on my presentation and they have a video on in the plane. And here they have a woman who is revealing more than she should reveal. Uh, she had the book of Revelation. And so I had to turn my eyes away and like, oh no, I can't watch this. I'm working on holiness. <laughs> and, and here we have sex has become a product. We use it to sell everything. I mean, even here, big sexy hair. You know, everything is about sex these days. They put it on the bulletins. They advertise it. It's on the billboards. Everyone is trying to sell sex, and uh, they use sex to sell. And I, that's created a question, you know, is sex holy? You know, the devil has such a hold on sex, it looks like he's got the winning hand, right? So this is one of my beautiful children. And as children grow up, they begin to discover parts of their body. So can, I, can we talk openly today? Yes. So they begin to discover parts of their body. And you know, there's my wife. She's going, who made your little hands? You know? and, and my child's going, Jesus did. Who made your little nose? Jesus did. And then she goes, who made your little penis? Jesus did. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, honey. Who made your little penis? Isn't this going too far? <laughs> but the reality is, she said, I'm wanting them to see that God made them sexual. Why do we run away from this and let the devil control the realm of sex? Why is it that we think we can be holy but just not talk about sex? God made us sexual. And so He made us that way. I mean, but why? Why did God invent sex? Lord, my life would have been so much easier if I didn't have to struggle with lust. If I didn't have to look at... God's creation in that kind of way. And so we struggle with, you know, what's appropriate? You know, when are you, when are you merely appreciating and when are you lusting after? You know, why, did God make me this way? Why? See, God had a plan for sex and the devil has stolen a march on us. God's plan for sex was to bring people together in the most intimate way possible. When God planned for sex, He said, you know, it's not just enough that they have a unity of their minds. It's not just enough that they have a unity of their emotions. I want them to have a unity of their bodies. And so he designs an act that creates that kind of unity. Don't you think that's special? How many of you like God's plan at some point in your lives? <laughs> All right, just clarifying there. Sex is a divine parable, you see. It represents... And this is why sex is so powerful. It represents the story of God's relationship with us. A parable is something that illustrates a divine truth. And what is the divine truth that sex illustrates? That God desires such an intimate relationship with us that everything will have to be removed to achieve that relationship. You see, sex, when you look back to, to how God made it, sex is not possible wearing clothes. Now, I know we can have sexual thoughts and feelings, but the ultimate sexual act is something that occurs when clothes are removed. Now, I know sometimes these days people attempt to do it with clothes on. But the, the idea of sex, the way God made it, He made Adam and Eve and they were... Naked. Now we understand from spirit prophecy that they were clothed in a robe of light, but they were essentially naked. And so how did we move from the sense of being able to be this vulnerable with each other to now where sex is such a problem? Well, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. And hereafter, God invents this incredible thing. And we know, what are the two things that come to us from the Garden of Eden? Anyone know the two institutions that come to us from the Garden of Eden? 
marriage and the Sabbath. And so we dealt with the Sabbath in the last uh, presentation. In this presentation, we're looking at marriage. And we're looking particularly at how God enters into a relationship with His people and how He gets them to enter into a relationship with each other. So He creates this beautiful institution and something goes horribly wrong. What was it? What was it that caused this beautiful pair to suddenly end up in such trouble? Disobedience. They chose their own way over God's will. They chose that it would be better for them to enter into their own relationship with themselves to do things their own way, to manage things their way, to achieve God's purposes their way, and as a result, tragedy came in. Now God comes looking for Adam and Eve, and He calls out, Adam, Adam, where are you? And what's Adam doing? He is hiding. And eventually he comes out and he has this fascinating section in Genesis chapter 3. His response to God is, I was, God says, you know, why were you hiding? He says, I was ashamed because I was naked, so I hid. I was ashamed because I was naked, so I hid. Here's what I've discovered about sexuality. Sexuality, if it's not done God's way, causes shame. Have you noticed that? Sexuality causes outside of God's will, causes shame. Now, why was nakedness such a problem now? He, he says he was ashamed because he was naked. He was fine before. You know, he was going out there, all his glory. Don't you just love the way they do the pictures? That you, you know, very appropriately. And so you have this sense that he is naked, he is unashamed. Immediately there's sin, there's shame. Why was the nakedness a problem now? Why was it a problem? Yes. They knew the difference. They knew something had gone wrong. Yes. What else? They no longer had the light covering. Yeah, but this is an external thing still. What, what's going on internally? Shame. There's guilt. There is suddenly the sense of separation. And there is the sense of vulnerability. Because here's what happens when sex is engaged outside of God's will. Can I, I, I'm just going to be honest today, and then I'm going to make the correlation to holiness. When we engage in sex outside of God's will, we become vulnerable because now suddenly we face rejection. There's no longer that sense of total covenant and commitment that holds us together. Does that make sense? Amen. And so without that total covenant and commitment, whether it's a stranger on the internet, or whether it's a live person, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, outside of God's covenant, suddenly we become vulnerable because there is not that commitment, and it is outside of God's will. And so after the sexual act comes shame. Now those of you, I mean, we've walked down this path before. There's probably no in this room who does not understand what I'm talking about. After the sexual act outside of God's will comes shame. And notice what this causes. Uh, so it always brings shame. Notice how we handle our shame. First, he was hiding. That is avoiding the issue. I don't have a problem. What, what problem? No, I, you know, we go into church. Have you noticed how people put on their holiness on Sabbath mornings? That's why we call it the Holy Sabbath Day. Because they get there and suddenly it's like a mass that comes on. The whole week, they have never mentioned God's name. But on Sabbath morning, they mention it 500 times. Praise be God! You know, and they, they have this whole holiness that they put on. So during the week, there's this private part of themselves. Nobody knows what's going on. This is private part. But they get there on Sabbath morning and you would think they are a saint directly translated from heaven. We have a real challenge with our sexuality because we never talk about it. We hide it. We hide it. We avoid the issue. Second thing that happens is we tend to mask. We try and fix the problem ourselves. So how do we mask? What did they do? They tied together fig leaves. Now I know back in the Garden of Eden fig leaves were a little bigger, but I've looked at fig leaves. Any of you seen a fig tree? The leaves are not very big. That's why they had to sew them together. Have you ever tried sewing a leaf? <laughs> this is not a very effective way, you know. And what happens to a leaf after you've picked it? This is in the post-sin world. It starts to die. It starts to crumple up. And so our attempts at fixing it often fail. Have you ever made these promises? Oh, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah, we go through that. And Ellen White speaks about this. She says, our promises are like ropes of 
sand. We hold on to them and they just crumple beneath our fingers. So we try and fix it. We've got to fix this problem. Oh, you, you know, uh, honey, I just want to tell you, this is never going to happen again. And uh, it's totally, this is done. We, this is not going to happen again. And did I tell you how sexy you look tonight? We find that our own solutions often fail miserably. And then ultimately there's blaming or there's making excuses. It's not my fault. You know, things just happen. You know, if you hadn't, that wouldn't have. If you didn't leave the internet open, this would not have occurred. If, if, if you hadn't worn that dress, that's why I fell. If your brother hadn't left at that inopportune time. So we have these excuses that we make for why we fall into sexual sin and why, how we handle our shame. Now I want to step back for a moment and look at God's plan. God said that He wants a relationship with us and He compares it to a relationship with His bride. He says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. How many husbands? One husband. Who is that husband? Jesus, right? That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Is it important to God for His church to be like a virgin? Why is that? Why can't we just go sleeping around, you know, have, have some time with God, some time with the world? I mean, what difference does it make? I mean, God loves us anyway, right? God, what God wants, you see, He wants our wholehearted devotion. Met, met a guy and I said, you know, so when are you going to get married? And he said, you know, in, in, in the right time, I said, well, uh, you know, whatever, how are you handling the sexual side? You know, you can always be honest with some people just to see what they do. And so he says, I'm saving myself for my wife. I said, but you haven't met her yet. He says, no, but she's saving herself for me. And I feel I need to do the same. With God, He wants our wholehearted devotion. With others, we should have that same wholehearted devotion with them. We are meant to be like a chaste virgin for Christ. Now, I know some of us are going, well, you know, it's too late for me. Uh, that virgin thing, that disappeared. In a crowd like this, the chances are about one in two has already had sex. And so when I look out there, I realize there are a number of people saying, yeah, well, I, I may as well leave now because uh, that's too late. But I believe that just like with every problem that sin has brought into the world, God can change and transform our situation. Doesn't He say, I can make you a new creation? He can change us around. So you may have been in a place where you go, you may still be in a place where you say, I, I am not following this model of sexuality. I am not following what God is asking me to do. But I believe that God can re-virginate us. Isn't that what happens in our lives? We were sinners. But when we come to Christ, it says that we are just as if we had never sinned. Isn't that true? We are transformed, not because we are so righteous, but because Christ takes His perfect holy life and He puts it in our place. So the question is going to be, how do we have that kind of relationship with God? Now again, I'm comparing sexuality with a relationship with God. I believe God is pursuing a relationship with us. He is like a lover longing for us. Uh, he comes, have you ever heard of the hounds of heaven? He just hounds us down. God woos us. Have you ever experienced that before? Where you were, you were in a situation and you were like, God, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want you right now. And He just wooed you back. You, you may have been fighting to come to GYC. Like, I don't want to go to that place. Everybody's too holy there. And then God brings you here anyway. And something begins to happen on your heart. You start hearing the Holy Spirit prompting you. God is like a lover. He's leaving little gifts at your door. Say, I'm still here. Here's a rose. Remember me. He's, he's starting to speak to you. The Holy Spirit is working with you because God desires a relationship with you. That's why the Song of Songs made it into the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I know you've never read Song of Songs <laughs> publicly. <laughs> but when you're privately and you're looking at it, by the way, it's great. When, when you finally get engaged, there is rich territory in Song of Songs. Some you have to keep for marriage, but generally there's rich territory there to use in your letters to your, your boyfriend or girlfriend. Why did God put that in there? Why did He put this whole romantic book into the Bible? Because it represents His relationship with us. Amen? 
It represents how He wants to pursue us. It represents His love for us and our wholehearted love back for them. The word yada means to know. You've heard of that in the Bible? And Adam knew Eve. That doesn't mean he sat down and had a conversation with her. Because out of that came Cain. So when Adam knew Eve, that was a... That, that word means a sexual relationship. You understand? So what are we talking about? When God, it says that same word, yada, means we are to know God in the same way. God wants to know us. It is a relationship that He calls us into. And so God is really saying, I want to be so close to you just like a man is with a woman. That's the kind of closeness of God's relationship with us. So sex, I'm saying, is a beautiful experience that comes through vulnerability. We have to be naked. It's a love, and it ultimately results in oneness. And instead, the devil has given us an alternative. He has the alternative. Uh, look at this magazine, The Ultimate Thrill for You and Your Guy. I mean, you, you can read it all. Have any of you ever... I know you never look at these magazines on the way out of the <laughs> counter, but you, you, you may have glanced at them in passing. And you see all of these things. It's about how to have the world's sexiest body, how to, how to do this and that with your partner. Everything is not about a relationship and a oneness inside of a covenant. It's instead about getting satisfaction. You follow this? It's not about a ministry to the other person. That's often what I say sexuality is. It is a ministry of relationship. Instead, it's about a thrill. It's about getting the kind of thrill you can get, any way you can get it. Let's try five, 500 different techniques to see how I can get more of a thrill. And it doesn't work. I want to speak to the guys just here for a moment. Somewhere, people are beginning to feel that what makes a strong man is a guy who can be passionate, you know, the ultimate lover. I was able to, to do this or do that. I was really passionate. But I want to say that what makes a strong man is not the intensity of your feelings, but your ability to control those feelings. What makes a strong man is somebody who can recognize what's happening with his feelings and say, I need to get out of here. The Bible says to flee youthful lusts. And instead, uh, what's C.D. Brooks? I love that. He says, we don't run away from sin. We kind of crawl away, hoping it'll catch up with us. Sex has been made boring by our culture. And I'll tell you why. What happens is, because we're aiming at the thrills, if you really want to have a thrill, do something forbidden. Isn't that true? Don't you get a thrill from something forbidden? Do you think Eve had a thrill when she ate that fruit? Yeah, we have that indication that in Spirit of Prophecy that she, there was a certain thrill of this feels good. Does sin feel good? Come on now, don't be honest with me. Does sin feel good? Yes, yes it does. So what happens? Sin feels really good for a while. But then after the feeling of, where it feels good, what comes next? The guilt and shame. So these two things come back. So what happens is we then go back looking for another thrill to get rid of our guilt and shame. We call this a cycle of addiction. But this time the thrill that we got before just doesn't quite do it. So we've got to go further. I was reading uh, the story of a testimony of a person who had broken out of pornography and what they said was initially it didn't take much to give them a thrill. But the more and more they got into pornography over a period of time, it started to lose its thrill factor. And next thing, they were going deeper and deeper until ultimately he started looking for a prostitute because now even the internet couldn't give him the thrill. You, you follow me? So the, the world's method, the devil's method, is to make sex boring. So what, it becomes a thrill, but we keep looking for something that never satisfies. It makes us weak and wanting more of that which never fills. We keep looking and looking, but we just don't achieve it. And as a result, when we get into a real marriage or into real intimacy with God, something goes wrong. Now follow this. What happens is we had the thrill outside of marriage and there was forbidden sex. And, and my wife and I have counseled many couples. And we found those who had sex outside of marriage, it was kind of exciting, it was forbidden. They get into marriage and suddenly sex loses its thrill. Why? Because it doesn't have that forbidden factor. It's not, it's not closeted. It's not the excitement of no one else knows about this. We're sneaking it. And so it loses its satisfaction. This is the devil's lie. The same thing, however, happens in our relationship with God. One of the reasons why holiness is not effective these days is because we have substituted a fake intimacy. Now, let me explain. We are using music 
to create a false sense of excitement in our worship services in order that we can have an intimacy with God which isn't really there. We have to manufacture it and we get that instantaneous intimacy with God, a high feeling, but when the music fades, so does the experience. And so instead of having a relationship with God that's built of prayer and Bible study and a real ongoing relationship with Him, we rely on a quick fix on a Sabbath morning to take care of the problem. Now, most of our churches are not very good at quick fixes, so maybe that's a good thing. But the reality that we face is that unless we have a genuine relationship with God, these fake instant intimacy functions won't work. Have you ever gone shopping hungry? Isn't that terrible? You spend three times what you should have spent. And so there you are, and you're like, oh, no, why did I buy all this food? But you were hungry, right? The same thing occurs. The devil creates a false excitement within us and we go looking for how we can fulfill that excitement right we're looking out there and we are we have been programmed to look for the wrong thing does this make sense so we're in the shopping market of life and we are programmed to buy the wrong thing because of the way we are so what are we going to do with this hunger there is this hunger inside of ourselves we know we've got to fill it so we fill it with the first thing does anyone have an empty water bottle that i can temporarily use it doesn't it needs not to be fancy all right, I'm going to try it. This, this one won't work because it's full. Does anyone have an empty one? Yeah, if you can bring it up. All right, there we go. My wife will deliver it. Now, your bottle may never look the same. Is this one of these $5 bottles? All right. So what happens is it's kind of like this. Any of you ever, when you're flying on the plane, maybe you had a water bottle if you're still allowed to carry it on, and uh, you get down to the ground, and what's happened to your water bottle? It's, it's, it's got a problem, right? Why does it have a problem? What's going on inside of it? It's got a vacuum. It's got a vacuum. It's an air pressure vacuum inside. Now, when you get down to the bottom, you notice that, does this bottle look very nice? The same thing happens in our lives. We have, we have challenges in our lives because we have an emptiness inside. And because that emptiness is not filled, our lives look kind of crumpled. They, they, they look like they've got challenges. Now, when you get down to the bottom, after you get out the airplane, you open up your bottle. And when you open it up, what happens? It, it fills the vacuum. What does it fill it with? Air. Air. Whatever happens to be in the vicinity, right? So here's how it works in our lives. We need to suck in God's water. That's what we're meant to be filled with. We need to fill our lives up with His love so that we are not filling our lives with anything else that is around. Because if not, what happens? We have a love hunger. And next thing, here comes a guy, maybe you're a girl, and you have a love hunger. And here comes a guy along. And like a magnet, you're attracted to him because you think he's going to do what? Fill up the hole. But he can't because he's a human being. And so instead, when you can fill it up with certain things, you begin to go deeper and deeper into intimacy, hoping that this next level of intimacy is somehow going to fill that hole in your heart. But does it? No. And so we end up more and more addicted, hoping to fill that hole, and it's never filled. And so what we need to do is to fill the love hunger. We need to get into a relationship with God. And this, I believe, is what God created us for. God created us for intimacy with Himself. He made a covenant with us. If you go throughout the uh, Old Testament, you'll find a specific covenantal phrase that comes up over and over again. I will be there, God, and they shall be my people. What does that imply between God and the people? A relationship. And you can go through the Bible. We won't go through all of them now. Genesis, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah. You find this phrase over and over again. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. It has this idea that God is entering into a relationship with us. Even when He builds a sanctuary, He says, Let them build a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. He wanted a relationship. New Testament, He brings us into a relationship with Himself. Now, notice the context of this. Let's go to this. It's actually 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 6 deal with this. But let's go to the 2 Corinthians 1 since I dealt with the 1 Corinthians 1 in the last section. 2 Corinthians chapter 6.
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and, they sh and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see the covenantal phrase? Therefore, what does it says? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What God wants is a relationship with us. Amen? And so, now I know some of you are thinking, man, that would be great. But the closer I come to God, the more tempted I get. Have any of you experienced this? You, after, have you noticed the... You, I, I wish I could do a survey, but no one would be honest in the survey, otherwise I would. The survey would be this. How many Adventists have the greatest amount of temptation on a Saturday night? Yeah, they've had a whole Sabbath. You know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not going to do what the devil wants me to do. And then they get to Saturday night and say, bring it on, devil. Why is it that after we've had an experience with God we feel the need to back off. Why is it that when we've come so close to God, we have to run away? And when I thought about that, I said, you know what, it makes sense to me. The problem is, because my life is basically secular, I feel like it's an overdose when I get too much spirituality. I had enough church today, thank you. I did my full 24 hours, which is more than the guy is going to do tomorrow. And so I've done 24 hours, and I am spiritualityed out. Is that such a word? Anyway, I am, I am holyed out. I've had enough with God. It's because our relationship with God is not ongoing. We can't handle 24 hours with God. The way to have a great Sabbath experience is to begin on Sunday. Now, I didn't say keep Sunday, you notice. I said begin on Sunday. And as you begin to have a relationship with God throughout the week, it changes you. Now, God has a covenant, and His covenant was to be with us. So what He does, when you read the, the covenant, it has this phrase, I will be their God, they will be my people, but it includes something. What is the new covenant? Anybody give me the new covenant? Just shout it out. I will write my laws on their, on their minds and on their hearts, right? So what God really wants to do is to transform us through a holy relationship so that we can become one with Him. Does that make sense? The new covenant is when it becomes internal. And most people I meet, it's external. So a relationship gets defined by what they didn't do. You know, we kissed, but we didn't do this. We, we did this, but we didn't do this. Instead of be, being defined by, a relationship should be defined by, I have God's law written on my heart and in my mind. Does that make sense? It is a relationship where God writes Himself into us. Because what does His law represent? His character of love. So as He writes that character of love into us, it begins to change the way we relate to God. God wants us to truly know Him, yada, to know Him. A deep personal intimacy so that He can be with us. And as soon as you depart outside of God's way, problems come. So I'm going to do a little review for those of you who went to the last session. What makes a person holy? I mentioned before that Moses found the burning bush and what made that ground holy was God's presence. So what makes something holy is God's presence. He fills us. And when God fills us, let me tell you, this is a deep intimacy. Now some of you are saying, I just need something. Uh, one, one girl came to my wife and said, please, can you pray for me? Well, I said, sure, what do you want me to pray about? She says, I need a boyfriend. Please pray that I will have a boyfriend. Everybody else has a boyfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. Please give me a boyfriend. God, if you love me, you give me a boyfriend. <laughs> the challenge is, is that we want intimacy and we can't seem to find it. And yet all the time, God is there saying, I'm here, my child. I want that intimacy with you. Come, come drink from me the water of everlasting life. You will not thirst when you drink of me. In fact, it will become streams of water flowing out. The problem with sexuality is that it is selfish. But when we come to God and we're so filled with Him, sex becomes a ministry to our partner. And suddenly, sex inside of marriage is different from sex outside of marriage in this way. Because sex outside of marriage is about fulfilling my desires. Sex inside of marriage is about the overflow of love uniting two people together as they minister to each other. 
Sex is not about thrills. Do not listen to Hollywood. You think it's always going to be exciting. I remember we did this experiment. We said uh, in class one day when I was a theology student, the theology professor said, I just want to ask a question. All of you who are single, how often do you think you'll be having sex in marriage? So we like looked at each other and like, probably every day. <laughs> then he turned to the married guys and he said, and how often do you have sex in marriage? Once, twice a week. We're like, you're kidding. <laughs> you have this woman right there? And, I mean, you know, and we were, but we realized that sexuality inside a marriage is different. It's a ministry. It's a partnership. Marriage does not revolve around sex. But sex can be the height of intimacy in a marriage. We have a great book called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. Now, it's not what you think. <laughs> the idea is that sex begins when you start washing the dishes. You, you, you follow that? It's a ministry. It is a ministry whereby you give yourself up. So this idea that, you know, I don't even like some of the, the thoughts in the book, um, Every Man's Battle. Because sometimes the idea is that, oh, you can have it now, but one day you can have everything you want. The candy will be all out there. You can have as much candy as you want. It's never a good idea to eat too much candy. The whole idea of having candy is that it's special. You know, in the ancient Jewish culture, you had to go without sex for at least a week. Sometimes two. Why? Because of the, the cleanliness rules that they had back then. But I think that that was maybe a good thing, that w when you came back together, it, you know, it was great. So the idea of sex is that it is a ministry, it's not a thrill. You follow that? Don't put off all your, your future imaginations off into the future. One day I'm going to have everything I want. No, instead start saying, how can I live that kind of life that I can turn sex into a ministry? And of course it's going to be great. I'm not going to deny it to you. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, be single, be satisfied, never worry about sex. It's not that great anyway. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. It's not like brushing your teeth. <laughs> All right? It is great. But outside of God's will, it's shameful. And so we need to turn around. I do not want the devil to get the glory by taking us through shame and guilt and hiding and masking and blaming and excusing. Instead, I want to restore sex and say, yes, God made your penis, God made your vagina. He made you that way. And when you do things according to His will, He will bless you. Can I, am I talking too straight? Just uh, throw something at me if I am. All right. <laughs> Notice how God wants that to be reflected in His own relationship with us. John 17. That they may all be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I am in Thee, and that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. What kind of unity is that? We are to have the same unity with God with Christ that Christ had with the Father. Isn't that phenomenal? And not only that, but we ought to have that kind of unity with, with others. And the glory which Thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and Thou and me, that Thou may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. And then he goes on to say, he says, Sanctify them, make them holy by Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, some people try and have intimacy without the basis of God's word. You will never have genuine intimacy that way. True intimacy comes when Christ shares His love in our hearts, when we can minister to each other, and when ultimately we are able to be one on the basis of truth and love. Does that make sense? So, you've probably uh, seen a book called Wild at Heart. It has the idea that God is pursuing us and that we are to pursue God. I'm not going to get into too much detail there. So, God desires us to pursue Him. He wants the all-consuming desires of your heart. Instead of focusing on the opposite sex, I am making a call here today. Focus on God. Amen. Let your romantic attachments, attractions, attack attachments. First go to God. Let yourself be so caught up with who God is. Develop that love relationship with God that you don't need a guy or a girl to make yourself happy. In fact, they've shown that people who are unhappy before marriage, guess what? They're unhappy after marriage. Marriage does not suddenly make you happy. The Hollywood thing, first they were unhappy, they have an argument, then they make up, then they get married, and everyone lives happily ever after, except you don't have to get married anymore. That kind of concept is not true. 
Another person will never make you happy. It is God who longs for you to pursue Him. He wants to fill you with His presence to make you holy. He wants to send the Holy Spirit to you so that you may be one with Him just as Jesus was. Now the challenge with this is the challenge of our hearts. Can you trust your heart? No, what does the Bible say? Jeremiah 7. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. So can you trust your heart when you, when you get the tingles for someone? Somebody walks by and woo, you know, and the hormones race and you suddenly go, you know, I, um, I just, um, wow, you know, I, are you going anywhere right now? <laughs> and have you been attracted to losers? Just, just be honest. Who, who's been attracted to losers? I'm raising my hand. I didn't marry one, notice. I was just attracted to one. And there's a difference. Just because you're attracted to someone doesn't mean that you should marry them. What we need to do in this is that, is that we need to say, I will have totally God as my centerpiece. I am going to make Him the number one. And this will help us understand this. Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall do what? See God, if we have impurity, including sexual impurity, we are hiding God's face from us. Matthew 5, verse 27, 28, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There is a heart problem here. And when we follow our hearts, our hearts are deceitful. Instead, we need to say, You know what, God? I can't trust my heart. I need something. Guess what? I need a heart transplant. And God will begin to change things because otherwise there are two roads. There's the problem of our desires and then there is the way God desires us to be. So here's the problem of lust. Lust in the Bible is not just sexual. It simply means desire, but lust is often given the connotation of specifically desiring to have something outside of God's will. So when we deal with lust in the Bible, the problem of the heart is that it desires the wrong thing, right? So here I am, I, I desire this person, and I, I, I know I shouldn't. Maybe it's on the computer, and I desire, I say, I just, I've got to face this, but what can I do? I'm struggling with this. I've got a wrong desire. What am I going to do? I can ignore it, right? I don't, it's, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. It, it, it makes no difference. I can uh, go into guilt, so on the one side, I can say, I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to be permissive. On the other side, I can go into this whole guilt thing. I remember one guy saying to me, you know, um, I just feel terrible. He was thin as a rake. I said, why? He says, well, I wanted to eat an egg today. And I'm like, okay, well, did you eat the egg? No, but I wanted to, and I feel terrible. <laughs> now, the reason why I felt terrible, I could put two and two together, was because he, he connected eggs with sexuality, that this would increase his sexuality. And so he thought, if I desire that egg, it's because I'm wanting to increase my, my sexual hormones, and that, that's bad. And so he just, for desiring it, he started feeling guilty. And here's something I really want to tell you. Don't let the devil win twice. If you've already engaged in sexual sin, don't let the devil beat you up with false guilt. How do we handle sexual sin? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what God wants is to clear the way, to have us come into a relationship with Him. And for sexuality, if it's outside of God's will, it begins to affect that relationship. So why don't we engage in premarital sex? Well, you know, you could give out a bunch of answers. Just quickly shout them out. Why don't we engage in premarital sex? Pregnancy. Okay, let's be honest. Yeah? STDs. STDs. Very good. What else? Emotional trauma. Emotional trauma. When you're close to a person and then you break it up, it's emotionally traumatic. Yes, what else? Emptiness. Emptiness. Yeah, you engage in sexuality, but it never fills the need. What else? Disappoints God. Disappoints God. It results in shame and guilt. So we know many reasons about why sexuality is a challenge. But here, let's go back to how do we overcome that? Now, some people try and overcome, I will not do this again. I will not do this again. I will not, I will not, I will not, I will, I will, I will. Where was that site again? And so we struggle because we're trying to overcome it by works. How do we actually solve this problem? We engage in a relationship with God. We fill our love hunger. We deal with the root, not the fruit. And I've found that a love relationship takes four things. Time. 
Have you ever had a relationship with somebody where you spent no time with them? How long would that relationship last? I found that a relationship takes surrender, giving up of your own, you could call that sacrifice, giving up of your own desires and being willing to follow, uh, being willing to surrender yourself to the other person. I found it takes purpose. There must be an outcome for this relationship. Where are you headed? Ladies, I'm sick and tired of guys who are still trying to figure, up the, figure out their minds about whether they like you or not. Amen? Amen? And guys, I'm tired of ladies who do the same thing. I mean, amen. All right. <laughs> a relationship takes intimacy. And the way God has built relationships is that there is progressing intimacy which results in oneness. So what happens when you, have, you are trying to build a relationship with God? You're going to need time. You're going to need to surrender to Him. You're going to need to have an established purpose. You're going to need growing intimacy. If something is missing here, your relationship with God is going to be challenged. Right? So what do we do with admiring God's creation? We say, all right, God, I'm having a relationship with you. I'm getting close to you. But, but then I see a beautiful specimen of God's creation. What do I do? The problem is not admiring but desiring. Amen? It is not that I admire but what happens with my desire. It's when I move from going God's will way, letting His love flow into my heart so it changes my desires, back to my lust when I start desiring certain things. So for me to see, I mean, I got myself in trouble once with this. A, a lady jogger came, was, was running along the road and we were driving past. And before I thought, you know, that's kind of opening the mouth and releasing the clutch before the brain was in gear. Before I could think, I said, Wow, she's got such nice calves. <laughs> and, and Nicole looks at me like, what did you just say? And I was like, ah, what I meant was, and I started digging a hole, was that we really need to start working out. I, I need to start working out, you know. And it was just a mess. You know, what was happening is that I had admired. Now, later on, we, we, we drove past a, a guy who was running. And I said, man, that guy has nice calves. And so my wife looks at me. She says, I don't know if that relieves me or makes me worried. <laughs> what? So the issue with beauty is not to say that person is beautiful. That's not the issue. But do you desire that person in a way that is outside of God's will? If you are, you need to stop that train of thinking. The issue is not the act. We haven't gone all the way, but the attitude behind the act. Come on, let's be honest. Many of us have committed adultery in our hearts, right? People who break covenants do so because it starts in the heart. You know, when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I cheated on my wife. And, and that's happened in a number of times in our counseling. I've, I look at that and I say, this did not begin with a single temptation. This was a process by which the covenant was being broken down over a period of time. This is why pornography is so terrible. Because you think pornography will stop as soon as I get married. But that's a lie. Because what happens is you have built a foundation of satisfying yourself instead of ministering to the other person. It is outside of God's will. And over a period of time, and we've traced it through many marriages, that the beginning of the problems of adultery started with pornography. And eventually it results in the act, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we look at lust, we see that there's a progress. And you know it from James chapter 1. It says, And lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is fully conceived, bringeth forth death. There is a process here. First we begin with the desire, and we start dwelling on the desire. And over a period of time, eventually that desire results in an act. So how do we deal with the problem of sexual sin? How do we restore this covenant with God and with others? How are we going to go through this process? Where do we begin? What do we need to do? Deal with the desire. Now here's the problem. You cannot change your heart. Did everyone get me on that? You cannot change your heart. You are, the next time a beautiful woman walks by, you cannot change your heart. So what can you do? What's that? Wear really dark sunglasses. All right, that may work for a while, but you may run into a few buildings. <laughs> what can you do? Bounce your eyes off. You can, with one of the suggestions, bounce your eyes off. Yeah, pray. 
So here's, the, here's what, what it really begins with. Begin retraining your desires. And that doesn't happen just by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the power to do this. You cannot change the heart, but you can choose who to give your heart to. You have the power of choice. You can make a decision. I cannot change my heart, but I can give up my sin-polluted heart and accept new desires from Jesus. And over a period of time, things can change. I remember uh, one example of a, a, one of our friends who had been engaged in homosexuality for about 20 years. And he ended up going on 3ABN. And as he was speaking with Danny Shelton, Danny Shelton kind of said to him, so uh, let me get it straight. You know, Danny was always uh, very direct. He said, let me get it straight. So uh, you really used to look at men and like to kind of look at them. <laughs> and now you don't. I mean, how's that possible? And he said, what you feed grows. What you starve dies. Amen. You follow? The way to deal with sexual sin is to begin to starve it. Now, in the next section, we're going to deal with, uh, sorry, not the next section, but our final section today, uh, we're going to deal with practical ways in which you can deal, you can gain victory over sin. You can deal with the sexual problem. But in this particular section, I just want to, to deal with the overall concepts and to say we need to train our desires to focus on the things of God. We need to return to biblical purity so we don't have broken marriages and perversions. Sexual self-gratification leads only to an ever-increasing desire for something more exciting, a never-ending, constantly disappointing quest destined to end in disillusion and despair, right? Sex mirrors the act of creation, however, and sex out of love and play emerges a unity and oneness that transcends the two individuals and results in a procreative act. So I'm, I'm going to skip through a couple here just for the sake of time. And uh, I want to move to this part, surrendering sexuality. When we surrender our sexuality to God, it becomes a gift. Now notice this, the devil has taken our sexuality and made us slaves. Would you agree? We are slaves to passion. But what God does is that he takes that sexuality and he restores it to us. Without God, sex loses its mystery. It becomes just another reward center in our brains. Cheap sex results, we said, in shame. Shame, in turn, threatens our covenant with others and our covenant with God. Adam and Eve, as we said, were ashamed of their nakedness. They had broken their covenant. But what God does, when we hand our sexuality to Him, He hands it back to us. Now, let me tell you a remarkable story. My wife, as you may have heard in previous audio verses, she experienced sexual abuse. And we were worried when we were getting married. Like, what's this going to do to our marriage? Is, are we going to be able to have a good, that part of our marriage? I mean, I was willing to marry her anyway, amen? <laughs> but it would be nice, you know, to, to have that side too. And so we were like, what's going to happen here? And let me tell you, God gave the gift of sexuality back to us. We determined when we were dating that we would covenant our lives to God, our physical part of our relationship to God. And we did not kiss until our wedding day. Amen? And God took that sexual gift and handed it back to us. And we now know what it means to have sex without shame. God wants a holy relationship with you. And He wants you to have a holy relationship with others. And I believe He can give it back to you. Amen? I believe that if you surrender it to God, He can do something with it. Uh, who is pure in heart? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Only those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus, that He alone may remain in Him. Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtue as well. Uh, that's from God, sex, and marriage. So what happens is Bonifer is saying here, if you want to be pure, the way to become pure is not to ignore your sexuality, but instead to hand it over to God. In fact, he says, you need to have good relationships with the opposite sex. Amen? It's when you're, you're hiding from the opposite sex that sexuality becomes perverted. And so instead of desecrating the sexual relationship, we need to return to its sacredness. We need to get away from our instant intimacy. And um, I'm going to skip through here because I have more than I can deal with there. And I want to quickly deal with this idea of leaving and cleaving. It takes time to build genuine intimacy. It's like two pieces of wood. Have you ever put two pieces of wood together? You glue them together? And I just want to remind everyone to turn off their cell phones. 
All right, have you, ever, have you ever glued two pieces of wood together? What happens when you try and pull them apart? Pieces of the one piece of wood are left on the other piece of wood, right? So what happens in sexual intimacy is that we are growing two pieces of wood together and bonding them. And instead, what, what we do these days is we have sexual relationships with multiple people. Have you ever tried to glue another piece of wood to the first piece of wood? It's hard to do because there are, there are bits and pieces of glue and the old piece of wood stuck on this piece of wood. God says that when we are sexual, we unite with another person. We become one with them. But when we break that, we carry pieces of that person with us and they impact on our new relationship with someone else. So what is God asking us to do? If we are going to leave and cleave, God wants to take His grinder out, His wood planer out, and to take off those old chips and to bring healing. And it's going to take time. If we want to restore our relationship with Him with others, this is going to be a process where He planes us down through trials, through self-understanding. And then when we're ready, He can take us and bond us to another piece of wood that He's done the same thing with. And as God is at the center of that, sexuality is restored to its right place. We surrender our sexuality to God and He cleanses us. I want to share a final story as we end here. When I was in college... I had a relationship that I put in the place of God. And in this relationship, I was like, this person is everything to me. In fact, I even considered giving up theology, my study of theology, just so I could be with this person. She had become an idol in my life. And while we didn't go all the way, there were definitely parts of our relationship that were sexual. You follow me? I remember going through that experience of shame and guilt. Night after night, I'd say, God, I, I know this is wrong. This relationship is not going in the right direction. But somehow figure it out. I love her too much to leave her. And it so happened that she went away and she ended up getting another boyfriend and coming back and saying to me, it's over. But I was bonded with her and I couldn't let go. And so now not only did I have a broken heart, I had a bond. And I remember praying with God, please bring her back into my life. And it's as if he told me, that's the wrong prayer, Alan. Your prayer should be, I'm willing to surrender this part of my life to you. And so over a period of time, I did that. And as I surrendered my life to God, he began to change me from the inside out. To prepare me for that covenant that one day I could make with my wife where God could bring us so close that He could give that gift of sex back to us. Amen. Praise His name. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank You that here, even though we're struggling, and we're all sinners, Lord, we've all struggled with sexuality, You have asked us to surrender this to You. Help us to make a covenant with our eyes that we will not look at anything that causes us to sin. Instead, Lord, we surrender our sexuality to you. We believe that you will gift it back to us in your time and in your way. The heart of the problem, Lord, is that we have not given our hearts to you. So, Lord, prepare us to be a sanctuary, to be filled with your presence. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.